worship, possibly maybe we should just skip the sermon and continue to worship. I mean, that sounds really good to me. Um, but but um, today we're wrapping up our series on discipleship. And Casey and I decided to go through the series in the first place because we recognize that our mission at the Family Church is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. And it's not only our mission at the Family Church, it is the mission that you find in the Bible. It is the purpose. It is the central focus. It is the direction. It's the target that all churches should aim for as we try to glorify God with our lives as a church. So discipleship is where we need to begin and end church. So as we begin, please pray with me. Holy Father, we praise you, we honor you, recognizing you are the one true God, Father, as your love does never fail us, Father, that your love consistently deals with our sin, 
our daily struggles, Father, our trials, you are there for us. And we praise you for that, Father. We love you. We thank you for your grace, Father. And we ask today, as your word is shared, Father, that you, that I will be faithful to your word and faithful to your word alone as your spirit empowers us to be the men and women of God that we need to be for your glory. It's through Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today, I want to talk about, as we wrap up the series, the identity of a disciple. And as a great philosopher, LeBron James, once said, he said this, I don't know how tall I am or how much I weigh because I don't want anybody to know my identity. I'm like a superhero. Call me basketball man. And it seems to me today that many of us struggle to know our true identity. And it's not like we're LeBron James trying to hide our identity, but it seems that often a lot of us live this false sense of identity or we don't even know what our real identity is as if we're clueless. And it is interesting to me that so many of us try to find our purpose. We're in a culture that is desperate to find purpose, but the reality of it is, church, we're not going to ever find our purpose if we don't know who we are. So we have to start with our identity. So I ask you, church, what is our true identity? What is your true identity? The first fill in the blank is about to begin. So today I want to explore the disciples' old and new identity. And the disciples' identity is twofold because the disciple had an original identity, but now they have a transformed identity. In other words, a disciple remembers who they were, that is their old identity, and who they are now in Christ, which is now their identity they live in now. And yes, I want us to start with the bad news because the Bible starts with the bad news of looking at the old identity. And we're going to be in actually in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. So if you guys have your Bibles, you can get prepared for that. But I want to start with the bad news because before we were disciples of Christ, we were dead, we were disobedient, and we were under wrath. So please turn with me to Ephesians 2 and we will pick up in verses 1 and we'll go through verse 3. And it says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Now remember, church, as we are thinking through on Ephesians 2, we have Paul, he's talking to, to Christians, right? He's not talking to unbelievers, he's actually talking to Christians. So he's speaking to them as I'm speaking to you now. And the first thing we learn is that Paul says that we were dead in our old identity. We were actually dead. As we read in verse 1, it says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And Paul is not talking about physical death, although physical death is a part of the death I'm talking about. He's actually talking about spiritual death. That before they were disciples of Christ, they were spiritually dead is what he's saying here. It takes us back to the Garden of Eden. And if you guys have your Bibles, let's look to Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And it says this, God says this, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely 
die, right? And we know the rest of the story, right? What happened? Adam and Eve ate from the tree, right? Did they die instantly? No, they didn't. But what they did was physically die. I mean, they spiritually died instantly at that moment. Instantly, they were separated from their creator. They used to walk in the garden with him no longer. Now sin indwelt them and it separated them from God. They had to be banished from the garden, right? Not only that, but their, their, the image of their creator that they were made in was now twisted and marred. That natural desire to worship and serve the creator was now marred and twisted. And guess who they wanted to worship and serve, church? Themselves. They focused now on what they wanted instead of what God had for them. It's no different today. This is the same with all of us as we are naturally focused and centered on ourselves instead of God in our old identity. Old identity. Spiritually, we were all dead to God before we came to Christ. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus he had to be born how many times? Twice, right? Once physically, and then second spiritually, right? But not only does Paul tell us that we are dead, he also goes on to say that we are also disobedient. Let's read that in verse 2. It says this, In which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So church, who is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which he's talking about, who now are ruled, what they rule, he rules the disobedient. Who is that church? That's Satan, right? It's saying that those that are walking this way before they are changed by Christ are ruled by Satan. I don't know if we realize this at times. The way we, we talk about unbelievers, it actually says here that they're ruled by Satan. Before you're a child of God, you're ruled by Satan is what he says here. And we can reiterate this by seeing in John eight forty four, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And Jesus doesn't say, well, the reason why you don't follow me is because it really doesn't fit your personality. Or it's not, you know, something you really want to do. And you just don't have all the knowledge. He actually says this. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. That's why they would not follow him. The same with us, church, before we were followers of Christ. We all naturally were controlled by our sinful nature and ruled by Satan, is what we read from what Paul says here. But also, to make things better, we learn that in our old identity, we're dead, we're disobedient, and finally it says we're objects of wrath. Let's read in verses 3 and 4. It says this, All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. I ask you, church, whose wrath? Whose wrath are we under? Let's think about this. If we're living under Satan's rule, we're disobedient to God, we ultimately are deserving of God's wrath. We are ultimately deserving of God's wrath, and that's what we would receive if we did not turn in faith and repentance to Christ, right? This is where Paul says we all begin. As he says back in verse uh, 4, we were were by nature objects of wrath like the rest of them. So in our old identity, we're naturally rebels of God. Before we were a disciple of Christ, we were lost, helpless, and destined to face God's wrath. 
So you may be wondering, what happens to someone controlled by their old identity? Well, we become fakes. We live out a false identity, a false sense of identity. We begin to identify with a false or wrong perspective of ourselves. We build our lives around these wrong perspectives. The first way that we do that, church, is we believe we are what we do. This is a fill in the blank. The first one is we believe we are what we do. And I, I can really see this in my life. Um, I loved basketball growing up. I thought about basketball constantly. I played it daily. I practiced jumping exercises to one day dunk. I don't know what I was thinking with that idea, but that's what I really was doing. And um, so I, I could dunk on like eight foot. I mean, I hope that I wasn't like Chris who could probably dunk like at 11 foot. But um, anyway, but I was obsessed with basketball and my identity hung on the fact if I could shoot a ball in a basket. And if I couldn't, guess what I thought about myself? I was worthless. I wasn't worth anything. And I was basing my identity on what I did. And this doesn't, this doesn't just end as, as a teenager because we have a lot of people who have careers. And guess what they make their identity? What they do. Their job, what they do. And my question is, church, why do you think a lot of people make their identity, their job? Well, they find security, significance, purpose, right? And they live for that job, right? Regardless if we are pastors, doctors, carpenters, or whatever the position, we begin to think we are our job. And we, begin, and we then begin to think too much of ourselves or too little of ourselves by what position we actually have. That is a travesty, church. That is not who we are, is what we do. But the reality of our identity is not found in that. Secondly, a lot of us live our identity by living in the past. I, I have been blessed to counsel a lot of folks, and often I will be counseling a, an older man, and he'll come into my office. He's discouraged. He's purposeless. He's depressed. He doesn't have anything he's living for at this moment. All of a sudden, I'll talk about sports, and all of a sudden, he lights up, and he starts reminiscing about the glory days. He starts talking about how he used to score. He scored 50 baskets in one game, or how he scored five touchdowns, not 50 baskets, 50 points, 50 points, not 50 baskets. That would be a, a world record. 50, 50 points in one game, um, five touchdowns in a game, and how he made the state finals. And it's almost like he is so focused on the past, he's not living in the, in the present. We cannot make our identity in our past. The third way we often make our identity is through habits and addictions. Through habits and addictions. We see this in an alcoholic, but I'm just picking on alcohol, but we could put any addiction in there. As they identify with their sin, as they say, hello, my name is John Doe, and I am a alcoholic, right? Where they filter their whole life through the addiction they have. And guess what they start seeing themselves as? They start seeing themselves through that addiction and that addiction alone. Then they start measuring their relationship to God solely on their addiction, if they've had a good day or a bad day with it. And that's what they often measure their success on. And church, to glorify God 
means much more than if I did not give in to my addiction for the day. It's how am I glorifying my God as I eat or drink, as Paul says, right? Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do it all to the glory of God. How am I glorifying God, my, the Lord with my parenting, with my wife as I'm leading her? How am I glorifying and honoring God in those areas too? So we don't want to make our addictions or struggles our identity. This leads us, when we do this, to a life of bondage and enslavement as the addiction takes first place over God. And still, this is a big one that I'm about to on. Fourthly, a lot of people make their identity on people-pleasing. And, and the reality of it is, most people-pleasers people sort of slip under the radar. I, I actually um, struggle with this one, too. Um, I, I want people to like me. You know, I got up here, and I've, I think I've prayed more and fasted more than I've ever prayed and fasted in my life, and I knew I was going to have to preach. But the reality is, we all want to be liked, right? But often, we make it our full focus. And like I was saying before I went off on a rabbit trail, I forgot where I was going, but what I was trying to say is that when we make our identity people-pleasing, often they go run through the radar because when someone's serving you and loving you and treating you well, you don't say, you know what, you're really a people-pleaser. Quit, you know, get me Starbucks coffee. Don't do things like that. I mean, we're not usually doing that with people-pleasers. So they often aren't being challenged and encouraged. So my question is, what is the danger of living out false identities? What's the danger the danger is false identities turn us inward. We become more self-focused and self-centered as we give into this false perspective of who we are. And as we become more inward focused, guess what happens? It separates us more from the Lord. It's like the wall continues to build before us and the Lord. For example, let's go back to the people pleaser. Why does someone people please? What drives them? What drives a people pleaser? Acceptance. Yeah. What, Jay? Feel, Feel good about themselves. Right. It's about who? Themselves. Right. The whole thing that Christ says, I'm going to free you of all this stuff. Right. The people pleaser, naturally, it's not just the people pleaser, it's all the false identities, which I only gave four. We could have done a lot more. But the point is, is that they get focused on this and it, it hinders their, it paralyzes their growth with the Lord, right? Our God becomes people instead of the true God because self is at the center. Not only is it rebellion against God, but often a people pleaser really struggles with things like depression, anxiety, fear, worry, because they're measuring everything they're doing on what people are saying. They're like, poll they're like the government polling. What's the popular decision here to make, right? So why does anyone, why does anybody live out a false identity? Why does, why does anybody do this? It's so destructive as we've talked about, right? The answer is if you're born blind, you don't see. The old saying, you don't know what you don't know, right? We live out a false identity because we are duped, fooled, and better put, deceived by our own hearts. Yes, I said that, deceived by our own hearts. The world says to follow your heart, but God's word clearly says not to follow your heart, right? 
Jeremiah 17, 9 says what? I know I've, everyone in my class probably is like, how many times are you going to use this verse? Jeremiah 17, 9 says what? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it, right? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it, right? So naturally, my heart is a professional deceiver, if you may. It's a masterful manipulator. It tries to connive me, if you will. It tries to distract and deceive me from the life Christ wants me to live in faith. For example, the Bible says in Proverbs, I think, 21 and 16, all a man's ways seem right to him. Or it says in another passage, all a man's ways seem innocent to him. But it is the Lord who measures the motives of the heart. The reality of it is, church, naturally, I'm going to think my ways are right. And if I don't think they're right, at least they're innocent. So I'm going to fight with my wife. And, of course, I'm right. You guys should all know that, right? And, and she's wrong, right? That's what I'm thinking in my head. Or, or, well, at least I have good motives behind why I'm doing what I'm doing. Right? I might be wrong, but at least I'm innocent, right? That's because often our hearts are deceiving us and causing us to think other than follow the Lord. I should, if I'm in an argument with my wife, the first thing I should do is say, back away, pray to the Lord, and say, Lord, help me to see the truth. Help me not to be reactive. Help me to love my wife instead of fight with her, right? Okay. Now i got to find out where I'm at. <laughs> um, so... Let me, let me ask you guys, or let me ask you, church, are you encouraged with what I've said so far? Because what I'm wanting you to see is the clear picture of the old identity of who we used to be. Or maybe you're a Christian, but you're living out a false sense of identity. So that's what I want you to see so far, the bad news. Because in our old identity, we were dead, disobedient, and deserving of God's wrath. But... But, church, God does not stop with leaving his children in their old identity, right? Because he initiates and saves us, right? This is where a disciple receives their new identity. So the disciple remembers who they were in their old identity. So we do have a clear understanding and remembrance of who we were but we praise God for the transformation that is taking place in us right now in this new identity that Christ has given us. So this leads us to the good news. I didn't know if I was going to get through the bad news without people getting angry, so I'm glad we got through that. So um, um, let's pick up in verses 4 and 5, and we're back at Ephesians 2, and it says this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So we see that the new identity comes from no one else but God and God alone, church. Paul tells us that God's motivation to change us comes from his great love and rich mercy for us. Think about it. God didn't make us out of guilt. He didn't make us out of fear. He didn't make it out of desperation to be liked. God changed us out of a pure and undefiled love for us. Isn't that amazing? 
I mean, that is amazing. We are brought back from the dead as he made us alive in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, forgiving us of all our sins as we've trusted him in faith and repentance. Our identity is not found in what we do. It's not found in our past. It's not found in our addictions and habits. And it's surely not found in people-pleasing. It is clearly rooted in the fact that we are now children of God. That is just amazing. God is so good. We are not just a friend of God, but actually a part of God's family as a child of God. God is now our Father. Let's read Galatians 4, 4 through 6. As you go there, I'm going to grab a drink here. Galatians 4, 4 through 6. And it says this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those under the law, that, they, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are a child... I don't know what that was. Um, scared me to death. Okay. And since you are his child, God has made us also an heir. So our new identity is wrapped up in our Father God. Did everybody hear the verse? Are they so shocked by what happened? Okay, I hope you heard it. Okay. It was a matter of, I'll read just the, the, ba- the last part of it just so you can. God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child of God. And since you are his son or his child, God has made you also an heir. So our new identity is wrapped up in the fact that God is our father, our eternal father who gives us all we need. He is our life. He pours his love on us. He gives us grace. He listens to our complaining and grumbling and continues to have patience with us. He disciplines us and relines our focus. He blesses us. He encourages us. He gives us hope when circumstances look hopeless. He gives us peace when we are suffering. God our Father never lets us go. He is our shield. He is our rock. He is our salvation. He is our hope. He is our mighty fortress. He is mighty, holy, perfect, all-knowing, all-consuming, everywhere, eternal, and control of all things. Church, this is our Father, and there is none like He. We have the best Father a child could ever have. This is our new identity as a disciple of Christ. And our God is changing us into the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. So my question is, church... What is your identity? Are you a disciple of Christ? If you aren't sure, I would ask you, I would ask you, are you growing in Christ? Paul tells us in Philippians 1, 6, he says this, that he or that God who began a good work in us will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. If we are Christ, the Bible tells us here that we will look more and more like Christ. So I ask you, who do you look more like? Do we look more like the old identity? Who's the father of the old identity? Satan, right? So if Satan is the father, 
some of the characteristics of Satan aren't the ones we really want to be growing in. But church, I ask you, are we growing in those? Are we growing in things like malice, sexual immorality, jealousy, confusion, discord, fits of rage, fear, worry, lust, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, lying, deception, rebellion, selfishness, revenge, depression, addiction, etc.? If Satan is our father, you can guarantee you are growing in those characteristics. Now, if, if Christ is our life and we have this new identity, right? Because who's our father? God, right? If God is our father, we're growing in things like what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? Goodness, gentleness, and self-control, right? If we're living in a new identity, right? So I'm going to ask you some questions to ponder. That's what I often do in counseling. I get to ask a lot of questions, but I'm not, it's hard not to get feedback, but just, just think about these questions in your head and answer them to yourself. I'm going to ask you questions individually as you're sitting in your seat. What do you think about most? Which identity reflects your thought life? Which identity reflects your thought life as you think of the characteristics of the old identity and new identity? What about your actions? How does your actions line up to fruit like gentleness? Especially when you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off. Does gentleness exude from your heart? Huh? (laughs) How do you handle the storms of life? Do you become controlled by fear, worry, anxiety? Or do you trust God? Right? And I know, I know a lot of these questions I'm asking aren't clear-cut because sometimes we're, we're, we react often in the flesh. Sometimes if someone cuts me off, I'm like, ah, and then I'm like, oh, Lord, forgive me. You know? So I understand that. It's not a clear process, but I want us to be growing in the new identity, right? What about in our relationships? When you are home with those you are comfortable with, like your spouse or someone else, which fruit come out of you, church? Are you often reactive and selfish? Or are you full of love and joy towards those when you sort of can just let everything hang out and you be who you want to be? If I would ask your spouse or close friend which identity best describes you, what would they say? Would they tell me that my spouse is full of joy and kindness? Or would they say that my spouse is full of pride and bitterness? Because the reality of it, church, is this is where the rubber meets the road. A disciple is a disciple in life. They're not a disciple coming here just on Sunday morning. They're not just a disciple in their mind because they know certain truths. They are living out their discipleship in their life, right? Because in reality, if we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, he loves us too much to let us have secret sin. He's going to pervade and light's going to invade every area of our life, right? When you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it's not fruits of the Spirit, it's fruit of the Spirit, which means if we're a believer in Christ, we should be growing in all those because it's one fruit, right? Right? Okay, so in conclusion... We talked about the old identity versus the new identity. And in Christ, we receive a new identity that actually transforms us into the likeness of Christ. The reality of it is, church, there are only two identities to choose from. Either 
we're living still in the old identity that is dead, disobedient, and deserving of wrath, or we're living in the new identity that is alive in Christ, controlled by the Spirit, and a child of God. There's only two identities to choose from. So where are you? Where are you, church? Is Christ your Lord and Savior? He is giving us everything. What is our response to Christ? If you don't know Christ, I beg of you, please turn to him in faith and repentance. And maybe you're a believer and you're struggling with secret sins and unbelief. And I understand that. I mean, we're all human. We all struggle with things, right? We all struggle with sin at one time. And we all need others in our lives, right? But I want you guys, I want everybody to know that Casey and I are here to support you in however we need to. We'd love to sit down with you and open up the Word of God that gives us and, and gives us all the answers to life's issues. We want to work with you. And not only that, but we have a community of believers that can also support you. Because we're a family, right? We're a family growing in the Lord. So many today say there's many today say they are saved and a child and a child of God, yet they live like they're still a child of Satan. We have to remember that often how we live reveals who we are. It is time for us, church, to depend on God's word, to love him, to pray to him, spend time with him, and to live out this Christian life in our daily walk, right? And let us be a church that truly is a discipling church. That's discipling one another and discipling ourselves. All right, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We thank you for who you are, Father. We thank you for your holy and inerrant, infallible word that gives us all of the answers to life's problems, Father. But more than that, it reveals who you are to us. It helps us see ourselves clearer, Father. And we can grow in sanctification. Thanks be to you as your spirit mightily works in us and changes us for your glory. We thank you for this time that we could dive into your word. We thank you that we can worship you today, Father. But help us to know that we are worshiping you every day and every moment how we live our lives. We're either worshiping you or worshiping something else. Help us to be faithful men and women of God. Father, and if we're struggling, help us to support and love one another. As we have been given so much grace, let us be graceful to one another. We praise you through Christ's name. Amen.